Well, today we're in chapter 2 of the story, but before we get into chapter 2, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, I want to remind us that this is an overview of the Bible. So we're going through Genesis, through Revelations, which is actually 66 books of the Bible. We're going through that whole Bible in 31 chapters in the story. So it is a condensed version. So I want to encourage you that we're just hitting the stories. We're hitting highlights. We're, we're not able to go super deep into these stories. And that's why I encourage you for a couple of things. First of all, if you hear a story that really interests you, go back to the Bible. The story is not to replace the Bible. It's just to give us a taste of it, to whet our appetite of what God tells us in the Bible. Go back to the Bible. Read the story in full. Dig into it. Learn it even more. Secondly, get in small groups and talk about it, or meet with other people, or talk with your spouse. Talk about the story. Talk about what is being spoken in the sermon and in the daily digging deeper. Talk about it so that you learn it more deeply and you understand it more fully. So that's the design of the story, is to, to whet your appetite, to get you into the Bible, and to get you reading the stories even more. And so last week, real quick, a highlight, we talked about the creation, how God created all things in six days, how he created man and woman in his image, how he rested on the seventh day to, to remind us that we need to rest in him. And then we learned that Satan, in the form of a serpent, came to Eve and tricked Adam and Eve deceived them into eating of the fruits, the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. So no longer did they just know good, but they knew evil. And sin came into the world. And we see that sin take place right away as they hid from God and they covered their nakedness. They, they knew that they were naked and they covered their nakedness and they hid from God. And then soon after that, they had children. Their children grew up and Cain was so angry at God for, for not accepting his his offering, because his attitude, his heart was not right with God. And that made Cain so angry that he killed his brother, Abel. And so we see sin building up and coming along and really taking people out of that relationship with God, right? The sin lead, was leading them out of that relationship with God. And so then we saw that... Uh, God called Noah and his family because they were faithful to God. They were following God. And so he flooded the earth and, and he restarted the earth. Again, with the idea that the people would come to be in relationship with him. And so as we get to chapter 2, we see that people have been following the commandment of God. They have been fruitful and they have been multiplying. And the earth has grown with people. But then again, because of that sinful nature, there had been people that strayed away from God, not following God. And so we get to this uh, call of Abram. Of course, as we saw in the scriptures, he, later his name will be changed to Abraham. We know him as Abraham. So a lot of times when you hear Abram, you might think, who's Abram? Abram and Abraham are the same person. You'll see that later on his name will be changed to Abraham. And we'll see why God changes his name. But God calls Abram. And again, let's read from from the text, and read the yellow with me. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. 
and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, where, where Abram was living in Ur, he was living in a place that was, was worshiping idols. And God said, I'm going to take you from this country, and you're going to go. And this was the beginning of God starting his nation. It won't come to culmination until much later on. But this call, and Abraham's walking forward in obeying God, this was the start of God setting up his nation, setting up his people. And so if Abraham had said, no, God, I think I want to stay here with my family, then maybe there would have been a whole different story that would have taken place. Abraham said, no, Lord, I hear your voice. I trust you. I want to be faithful to the call. And so he went. We need to learn this lesson from God. God, time and time again, calls us. He gives us a call. He, he makes us a people of God, right? He makes us a church that, that is to follow him. We need the people that say, be a people like Abraham, say, I will follow you, God. I will trust in you. Even if I don't understand where you're calling me to go, I will follow you. Because Abraham, uh, Abraham didn't know his destination, didn't he? He didn't say, you're going to go to Egypt. No, he said, you're going to go that way. Start walking. Right? How difficult that would have been to just say, uh, that way, God? You sure that way? Okay, that way. And just start walking. He didn't know where he was going to end up. So the first step we need to understand is hearing God. We need to listen to God. We need to hear God. Maybe it's through the, the Bible. Maybe it's through the voice of a, of a trusted Christian friend. Maybe it's through the sermon. Maybe it's through a Bible study. We need to listen. We need to hear God. That's the first step. The second step is that we need to trust and have a willingness to obey what God tells us to do, what God guides us to do. That's important. The third step is to understand that oftentimes when God sends you on a mission, when God gives you a call, he brings other people along with you. He doesn't make you do it by yourself. More often than not, there's going to be other people that are going to be walking with you. And hopefully they're hearing the call too, right? And they're saying, yes, Lord. And then together, we do that, right? So you hear stuff like maybe the outreach committee says, we're going to do this. And we don't say to ourselves, oh, that's the outreach committee. They're going to do it. No, because maybe God says, no, you're going to do it with the outreach committee. And you hear the call of God's voice and you say, I'm going to walk with them together. We're going to do this together. And so we need to be faithful followers to seek and to listen and to follow. So off Abraham goes with his wife, his family, his servants. We're told that he's 75 years old at this time. And he doesn't have a destination Right now, I know that our church is continuing to move forward in our call, aren't we? We're celebrating our 30th anniversary next week. We're thinking about, we've been a church for 30 years, yet God has given us another call. We understand that God has given us a call of evangelism and discipleship and outreach. But what does that look like? We don't know. We don't have that figured out yet. And that's really frustrating sometimes, isn't it? You want to know exactly what, what you're supposed to do. It's much easier when you know what it is. When it's kind of nebulous like that, you're kind of like, well, maybe I won't do it then, right? No, you walk faithfully forward, going in the direction that God's pointing you, and slowly God lets you see it, right? Have you ever, you know, when you, uh, I saw uh, Arnold had a, a regular uh, camera. A lot of cameras don't exist anymore, right? They're all on our phones, right? But now, you know, when you have a camera, sometimes it's out of focus, right? And so you have to kind of focus, and it's kind of blurry. It's like, who is it? Oh, okay, yeah, oh, now I see that. Yeah, now it's clear, right? 
And that's kind of how God's call is oftentimes. We start to walk and it's blurry and we know the direction and we kind of see what's going on, but we don't fully see it. We don't fully understand it clearly. And then slowly God brings it into focus and then we see clearly exactly what we're supposed to do. So we see that uh, Abram travels, uh, uh, Haran is above uh, Shechem there. You see he comes down to Shechem, he goes down to Bethel, he goes down to the land of Negev. And what, we're told a very wonderful thing. Every place that Abram stops, he builds an altar to the Lord. That's important understanding. He says, God is the one who is guiding me, who is leading me, who is watching over me, who is protecting me, who has given me the direction. God is the one, and I'm going to give thanks to God, and I'm going to praise God, and I'm going to honor God. We, too, would do well to stop regularly and say thank you to God. Thank you for watching over me, for guiding me, for leading me. God, you're the one who is the strength of my life. You're the one who leads me to where I need to go. We need to stop and regularly give thanks and build an altar of sorts to God. That altar could look like a lot of different things, right? It could just be a verse that you have there, and it's kind of a place where you just say, read that verse. Or it could be a prayer that you write or that you find and that you pray each day just as a thanks, thankfulness to God. You build an altar to God. You give your thanks and your praise to God. Well, as they go along, the Lot, his nephew, is with them, and his his flocks are growing, and Abram's flocks are growing, and they can't, the land can't sustain them both. And so they need to go separate ways, not because they don't get along, but just because the land can't sustain them. And so Abram um, says, Lot, you choose first. And we read in Genesis 13, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And then we get to an important verse in verse 13. Read this verse with me. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So here's a warning. A lot of times when we look at things and say, oh, that looks really good, right? That looks more prosperous. That looks like the more successful job. That looks like something that will build me up. That, and we look with our eyes and we see something and we get excited about it because we see it with our eyes. And it looks good and it looks right, right? And everybody's talking about, it. oh, how great this is, how wonderful this is. But Lot put himself right by Sodom and Gomorrah. And he got drawn into the lifestyle of Sodom and Gomorrah and ultimately it cost him his wife and his daughters. He looked with his eyes and chose through his desires. What looked more desirable? And God says, you know what? Don't look with your eyes. Look with your heart. Look with your faith. Trust in me. Wherever I put you, whatever it looks like, I will bring blessing out of it for you if you trust me and you walk faithfully with me. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes. We look at the world and we see all these good things and we want to choose those good things. But sometimes God says, no, I have this for you. But God, that's not as good as this over here. And God says, trust me, I want you here. Go where I call you and I will bless you there. 
I uh, was just kind of getting started in my youth ministry, and I had been a junior high pastor at a small church, small little junior high ministry, and a friend of mine was working as the junior high director at Bellar Presbyterian Church. And so he called me up and he said, hey, Chris, we're looking for a high school director. Do you want to apply? And so I was like, yeah, that sounds really good. Bel Air Presbyterian Church, right? Big church, prestigious, right? So I applied and I got the job. And I even remember a friend of mine who was actually the high school pastor at Hollywood Press. And he said, boy, that's a real feather in your cap. That's how he said it. That's a real feather in your cap, right? Like we're you know, building up feathers and the more feathers we have, right? The prestigious jobs you have, that's the good thing, Right? And so I was feeling pretty good. Yeah, I got this job, Bel Air Presbyterian Church. It's pretty good. For 15 months, I struggled in that ministry. It was not a good fit for me. It was not the ministry I should have been in. And for 15 months, I struggled. And in fact, at the end of 15 months, I, I prayed a lot, and I talked to a lot of people, and I said, I need to leave this position. This is not good for me. In fact, it, I was in seminary still, but I feel like when I left, I wasn't sure if I was going to go back into ministry. That's the kind of toll it took on me. For three months, I'm sanding for my... Remember I told you my dad's business, right? I'm summer heat sanding. You think I want to go back to ministry? Yeah, I want to go back to ministry. Forget this sanding, man. This is hard work. I think I'm going to go back to ministry. But no, I mean, the God, God worked on my heart in that time, prepared me again, and then I found a job as a director of student ministries at Trinity Presbyterian Church. And God blessed that ministry. And I met my wife there, and I got married. And I finished my seminary there, and they paid for my seminary. It was a blessing because I went to the place where God called me, not to where my eyes were taking me, not to what was prestigious or what looked good, but where God was calling me. And that's a hard thing. You need to search your heart. Where is God calling me? Not what looks good always, but where is God calling me? What does, my, what does God say in my heart? So Abraham's faithfulness was that he let Lot choose first, right? He settled in memory. He again built an altar to the Lord. And again, we see the trust and the faithfulness that Abraham chose in God. But we see a little chink in the armor of Abraham's faith. As he starts to doubt God, he's supposed to be the father of many nations. And he doesn't even have one son. He doesn't have an heir. How can I be the father of many nations, he thinks, when I don't even have a son? I don't have an heir. This doesn't make sense to Abram, right? And so we see this important exchange. Read the yellow with me. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. You're a very great reward. God is, again, assuring him, right? I've given you a promise. Don't be afraid. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, his servant. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So he looks at the stars, and he sees all the stars. And the reason why he's going to have descendants that are going to be more than the stars is because it's not just the Jews of his time that will be his descendants. 
It's all the Jews. And then when you read into the New Testament, it says, as we as Gentiles, as non-Jews, believers in Christ, we are part, we are grafted into that family. We are part of the promise, the covenant of Abraham. All followers of Christ, including all the Jews of the Old Testament, we are all part of that covenant promise. Now, Abram is in his 80s at this point. And it sounds like, oh, God, I'm right with you, right? And that's what we do all the time, don't we? We're like, God, I'm right with you. And then we, get, we struggle about something. Something doesn't go right. It doesn't happen as we think we should. And so we're not sure if it's true. Now, it says here at the end, Abram is credited in righteousness by his faith. He believed, right? I mean, the key is faith makes us righteous. Faith makes us fruitful. Faith is what what keeps us trusting in the Lord. Faith carries us in the ups and downs of life. Faith is the key. And so you say, oh, I can never have faith like uh, like Abram, right? I mean, he's righteousness because of his faith. And maybe we look at Abram and we try to compare ourselves to Abram and we think we don't match up, right? Well, he has that perfect faith, right? Well, don't talk... Like that, so quickly, right? Because many years, more years go by. And Abram and Sarai, they're waiting for an heir. And years go by, and years go by, and years go by, and they get impatient. Ever gotten impatient? God's call on your life? They're like, God, you're not doing it fast enough. I'm just going to do it for myself. And that's what Abram and Sarai did. They said, we're going to come up with a plan. God's not moving, so like, we're going to do it, right? And so this is their plan. They said, okay, uh, Sarah said, you're going to sleep with my maidservant, um, Hagar, which is not uncommon back in that time. If a woman couldn't get pregnant, then oftentimes the man would sleep with the maidservant and have a child, and and because of the way the system was, that that child would become their heir. You're going to sleep with Hagar, you're going to have a child, that will be our heir, right? And so Abram says, okay. So he does, Hagar gets pregnant, she has a son, his name's Ishmael, right? Problem solved, Right? All is good. They're all happy, right? Well, if you know the story at all, you know that that's not true at all because it's not God's plan. In fact, it hurts the relationship between Abram and Sarai, makes their relationship difficult, and a difficult relationship between Hagar and Ishmael. And if you want to know more about this story, read Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 21, and it'll tell you more about what happens in that relationship. Things do not go well in the story through that. Thirteen years pass after Ishmael's birth, and God has another little chat with Abram. Another chat about this father of many nations promise, right? So we pick it up. Oh, I do want to make this note. Don't ever think that your plans will ever be better than God's plans. If I stress anything in this sermon, I want to stress that to you. Don't think that your plans could ever be better than God's plans. So we move on. Genesis 17, we pick it up. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, 99 years old, right? That's pretty old, right? I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Read with me. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So first, God reminds Abram, I am the Lord God Almighty. 
That's who's speaking to you right now, okay? That is the one who has made this covenant promise with you. Secondly, God reminds Abram, what is your role in this call? To walk before me faithfully and blameless. That's your role. Be faithful to what I call you, okay? That's what your role is. That's easy for us to remember, right? God is almighty. He makes a promise. We just walk faithfully in what he tells us to do. And then third, God has not broken his covenant with Abram. Abram just got tired of waiting for the answer. God has not broken his covenant. Again, he's affirming, affirming that he has not broken his covenant. Fourth, God is still promising to increase his numbers, that he will still be the father of many nations. Even in the midst of his unfaithfulness, God is showing forgiveness, showing grace and mercy, saying, I still am making this covenant promise with you. See, God does that all the time with us. He says, I forgive you. I know you stumbled. I know you didn't believe me. I know you did your own thing, but come back to me. Be faithful. That's your role. Be faithful, and I will bless you. What is your role, God? I'm the Almighty. I make it happen. What is my role? Be faithful, right? It's pretty simple, really. It's pretty simple. What is the longest you've ever had to wait for something? Remember when you were a kid, you know, and like Christmas would happen, and then right after Christmas, you start thinking about your next Christmas gift, right? And that year was, you know, oh, I want a bike next Christmas, right? And that year was the longest year you could ever have in your life, right? I had to wait nine years to finish seminary. Nine years. I did a three-year seminary degree in nine years. Right? But I was in full-time ministry the whole time, so there's a reason why it took me nine years. But still, nine years is a long haul to go to seminary. You know, you want to finish. You want that, that completion. You want to be moved on. I couldn't be ordained until I finished seminary. And so when I finally finished and I got ordained, that was a great day. That was a great day. Abram and Sarai had to wait 25 years for God's promise to be fulfilled. 25 years! Now, I know as we get older, you know, five years, nine years, 25 years seems a lot less than when we're younger, but 25 years, I don't care what age you are, 25 years is a long time, right? To wait for something. You know, if I said, I'm going to give you a million dollars in 25 years, I mean, that'd be a long wait for 25 years, right? Are you still going to be alive in 25 years to give me that million dollars? <laughs> We'd be worrying about a lot of things during that time, wouldn't we? So Abram has to wait 25 years. But this encounter humbles Abram again. And he realizes his faithfulness has wavered. He was not faithful in what his call was. Be faithful and blame us. He questioned God's provision. He doubted God's faithfulness. And so he humbles himself again before God, humbles us up before God and says, God, I know I messed up. I want to be this person you want me to be. And in chapter 17, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And he changes Sarai's name to Sarah, which means princess of a multitude. Don't think that was just by chance. God did that for a reason. He said, I know you stumbled, so I'm changing your name. It's kind of a new start. You're going to have a new, um, new commitment with that name, right? You're Abraham. You're Sarah. You're going to be the father and the mother of many nations, right? And you're going to again be faithful to me, and I am going to give you an heir. 
So, they get pregnant. They have a son. They name him Isaac. A few years goes by, and then God does something that stuns us, right? God does something that stuns us. Genesis 22, 2. God says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. What? I waited 25 years, God, for this son, and you want me to kill my son? And people look at that, and they're astounded that God would ever ask Abraham to do that. Why would God do that? Well, if you follow the story through, and don't let this shock you so much, you will see why God does that, right? And so Abraham says, okay, I've recommitted myself to you. My role, what was my role, what was my role, what was my role? You know, you can't think, right, when you tell you sacrifice your son. What am I supposed to do? Oh, yeah, be faithful. And so he takes his son. And he puts him on the altar and he ties him up and he gets the knife and he's ready to, to sacrifice him, right? And it, I'm sure it's like, you know, like in, every minute is like a fraction of an inch, right? I mean, it's like, uh, okay, am I going to do this, right? And then we get to this great verse, 22 to 12. Do not lay, this God speaking, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now I know that your faithfulness is there. You are really going to be faithful to me. God needed to know that he could count on Abraham to do what God needed him to do. He needed complete trust and faithfulness from Abraham. And Abraham names that place God will Provide. Do you believe God will provide? Or do you have times of doubt? Is God really going to provide for me, right? In those biggest areas of challenge, of hardship, of trial, of struggle, do you believe God will provide? And the way that you can know that he will is go back to all the other times you had hardships and trials and struggles and difficulties and see how God did provide. And then you come to your current position and you say, I can trust God here because I've seen how God was faithful here. God will provide. And God provided his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us so that our sins would be paid for. Right? He sacrificed his only son. And How can we not then give back to God and trust in him when we've seen that God has given his all for us. Well, time goes on. Isaac grows up. He marries Rebecca. They have twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Esau's the older, so he's the, the heir. You know the story, right? They grow up. It's going to be time for Isaac to... Um, hit that, sorry. It was be time for Isaac to, to pass on the blessing, pass on the, the covenant promise. He's going to go to Esau. He's the heir, right? You know that Rebekah and Jacob are plotting. Jacob wants it, right? And so they put on the, the hairy uh, the animal skin with the hair on it because Esau was hairier. Goes in. Isaac was old. He's bedridden. He couldn't see very well. He reaches out. He touches Jacob. He smells Jacob's smell because 
because Rebecca had put the smell on him, right, and, and gives him his blessing. Gives him, passes on the covenant promise, you know, Abraham to Isaac, now to Jacob. Esau comes in, right? He's got the stew. He's got the meal for his dad. He brings it into his dad. He gives it to his dad. Wait a minute. What did, what did you do? You already gave away the. You already gave away my blessing. You already gave away the promise. It, it, it's not there for me anymore. How do you think Esau felt about that? Angry, right? He vowed to kill Jacob. That's how angry he was. He vowed to kill. Jacob. And so Rebekah sends Jacob off. Protect him, right? You go live a family far away. Get, get away from your brother. Your brother is not in a good mood right now. Right? Again, we're, we're hitting big chunks of the story, right? We're moving fast, okay? See, so we're moving fast. So Jacob goes away. He gets a little older. He sees Rachel. He loves Rachel. He wants to marry Rachel. He talks to Rachel's Father, Laban, hey, let's work out a deal here. I want to marry your daughter, right? Work seven years for me, and you can marry my daughter. So he works, and he works, and he's committing, he's working, and he's excited, right? You know, how long have you waited for something, right? Seven years for a wife. Yeah, okay. Seven years come by. The wedding happens. The consummation of the marriage happens. The next morning he wakes up, and uh, you can figure out how this all happened. But anyway, he wakes up the next morning, and it's Leah, her older sister. It's not Rachel. Now, I don't know how you can go through a whole wedding and a consummation of the marriage and spend the night with someone and not know that it wasn't this person that you thought you were going to marry. That's a whole other discussion, and we can have that if you want another time. But anyway, he wakes up, and it's Leah, and it's not Rachel. Could you imagine, man, when you woke up, and the next morning is like, wait a minute. That's not who I was planning on marrying. So he goes to Laban, right? But on his way to Laban, I'm sure you know what he's thinking in his head? He remembered his own deceitfulness towards Esau. And now Laban's been deceitful to him. He experienced, now he probably experienced now what Esau is feeling towards him, right? What deceitfulness this is. And he talks to Laban, and Laban's like, well, it's not customary to marry off the younger daughter first. So you got the older daughter. So then he works out another deal. They work, he works seven more years and marries Rachel. Jump forward another year, a number of years again. And there's this time when Esau and Jacob are going to come back together. Now imagine if you're Jacob, how would you feel seeing your brother? He hasn't seen him since he stole his blessing. All these years are passing. You know, a lot of times when you've, when you've wronged someone, right, and all those years go by, well, it just kind of builds up, doesn't it? It builds up and builds up, and you think, oh man, he's going to really, he wanted me to kill me then. What does he want to do to me now? So the night before, well, actually, he sends his wife and a lot of the servants stuff, he sends them to another place. You go, you're going to be safe, right? I want to protect you. And he couldn't sleep the night before. He wrestles with God all through the night because God sent an angel to him, right? And he's wrestling and wrestling. And through that wrestling, God sees his conviction and his faith and his persevering spirit, and he renames him Israel. He gets the name Israel, which means a prince with God. And then the next morning comes, and we pick it up. Oh, I skipped some pictures, didn't I? Oh, well. Genesis 33, 4. Read the underline with me. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. I can just imagine Jacob, you're like, what's going on? Are you, are you really Esau, right? His 
brother had forgiven him. And so in the night, he experienced God's faithfulness. And in the day, he experienced Esau's forgiveness. And he realized all this blessing that God was pouring on him. And even in the midst of his unfaithfulness, stealing the blessing, God was still saying, I forgive you. You're going to be in that line of the covenant, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You're going to be in that line. You're going to be the carrier of that covenant promise. And if you read the genealogy from Abraham to Christ, you see you know, Jacob's name in there. So, closing. I told you about a lot of people this morning. You know, it's interesting that I've had conversations with people, and people have actually said these words to me. They said, you know, Pastor, God could never forgive me for what I've done. Or they've said something like, you know, because of all the things that I've done wrong in my life, God, God would never use me. Why would God use me? I, I've done some really bad things. And I want to tell you this morning, God can and will forgive you. If you sincerely come before God, God will forgive you. He'll restore you. He'll lift you up. And he will use you. God has a plan for your life and for my life. We are part of this overall story. And we see the faithfulness of Abraham. And we see the forgiveness of Esau. And we see the persevering spirit of Jacob. And we see these qualities and these characteristics that God says, I want those in you also. See yourself in those characters. See yourself as part of this story. See, God doesn't always work in expected ways. But it is God who is the one who works. Because we are imperfect, right? But God works his righteousness and his perfectness and his goodness in and through us. And he makes us fruitful as a people of God, as a church, as followers of Christ. Let's pray.